It's 12.01, The Witching Hour. You're listening to WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. You are cleared for departure. Your destination, the late night fright. Commencing transmission in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me as always is my frighteningly monstrous co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. This is the December 14th, 2020 edition of the show, the 195th episode of the Late Night Fright, the show that likes to say, hey, have another cup of coffee, the jitters will pass. You just got to fight right through it. Exactly. We are so glad that all of you have chosen to join us. Greetings to all of you all around the world. And a special hello to any reanimated corpses who may be tuning in. And as always, greetings and salutations to any astral travelers and interdimensional beings that may be tuning in or are here in the studio with us. We're in especially good cheer this month, aren't we, Faith? I think we are, yeah. Please tell our listeners what has us feeling so festive. Well, we did just get word that we made Santa's nice list this year, so no coal for us. But more important than that, our month-long spotlight of the films of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee continues on the Late Night Fright. Tonight, we have a double feature, and both films are indeed Late Night Frights. First up is a film that pairs Cushing and Lee as creator and creation. The film that started not only their collaboration, but a lifelong friendship, a friendship that was built Looney Tunes cartoons and was sparked when Lee burst into Cushing's dressing room and said, I have no lines. Cushing calmly responded, you're lucky I've read the script. Faith, what is our first film this evening? From Hammer Films, we have 1957's The Curse of Frankenstein. Our second film this evening is another retelling of a classic universal film. It's also a film that injured Christopher Lee. You've heard of Suffering for Your Art. Christopher Lee threw out his back, dislocated his shoulder, and injured his knees and shins, making our next movie. Faith, what is the movie that brought the pain to Sir Christopher? It is 1959's The Mummy from Hammer Films. Two films featuring Cushing and Lee, and we made Santa's nice list. Faith, I think we might be doing something right. I think so. We're going to take a short pause for a coffee cause, and when we get back, we have The Curse of Frankenstein. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsors. I am Dan. And I am Faith. You are listening to The Late Night Fright. We're so glad you're here. The Dark Depository, located on Sacred Burial Road, is your one-stop shop for all of your dark spellcasting needs. Cauldrons, talismans, spell books, and the freshest ingredients this side of hell. The Dark Depository has it all. Tis the season. The season for evil. Our motto has always been, don't get mad. Don't get even. Get evil. The Dark Depository. Drop in now to take advantage of our Saturnalia savings. (laughs) 
See you there. Season's greetings from the Cozy Corner Mall. It's that time of year again. Time for pictures with Santa. After last year's little accident, we have now mandated that all Santa suits be flame retardant. We have also started vetting our Santas thoroughly and can assure all of you parents out there that Santa will indeed be sober this year and won't be throwing up on your little ones. Season's greetings from the Cozy Corner Mall. We now return to the Late Night Fright on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio, a show that abides by the rule of the courtesy flush. More than a hundred years ago, in a mountain village in Switzerland, lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. A legend that is still told with horror the world over. We've only just started, just opened the door. Look, now's the time to go through that door and find what lies beyond it. But don't you see, Paul? We've discovered the source of life itself, and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead. This is Frankenstein, who revolted against nature who experimented with the devil and was forever cursed. His unwilling collaborator was Paul Kremp. I can't prove you murdered, but I can stop you using his brain. Why, he has no further use for it? Don't be a Be careful! Go damn it! Only two women ever entered this house of evil. Elizabeth, come back! Elizabeth, the lovely cousin who had promised to marry him, and Justine, the maid, who kept passionate and secret rendezvous with her master. Won't you understand you're in real danger? What Victor is doing is dangerous to everyone in the house. Now, you cannot possibly conceive what dreadful thing he's planning to do. What are you trying to tell me, Paul? That Victor's wicked? Insane? Wicked? Insane? Evil? Call Frankenstein what you will. A demon had made a man-made monster, and now... The monster was the master. Paul, what are you going to do? For your sake and to protect Elizabeth, I've so far kept silent. But now I shall go to the authorities and have them destroy that creature and see that you pay for these atrocities. No! violence in vivid color. Hammer Films, founded in 1934 by William Hines, had enjoyed modest success in a variety of genres, but it is 1957's adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, released as The Curse of Frankenstein, that began the studio's nearly decade-long dominance on the international film market as the new House of Horror, and established the legacy for which Hammer is so fondly remembered. Directed by Terence Fisher from a script by Jimmy Sangster, The Curse of Frankenstein gave television star Peter Cushing his first lead role in a feature film as the obsessively callous Baron Victor Frankenstein and teamed him with the 6'5'' Christopher Lee as the Baron's creation. 
Although Cushing and Lee had appeared in three films together already, The Curse of Frankenstein marks the first time they appeared together in a Hammer horror film, the studio and genre with which both gentlemen would become most famously identified with. Cushing's Baron is the focus of the film, and his portrayal differs greatly from Colin Clive's interpretation in James Whale's classic 1931 Universal film. Lee appears in makeup created by Phil Leakey, who had to make sure that Lee's appearance did not venture too far into the classic Boris Karloff look designed by legendary Universal makeup man Jack Pierce, as Universal had lawyers at the standby ready to sue the production. The result was a critically derided picture that was a massive hit with audiences. Its influence is still felt today with filmmakers Martin Scorsese and Tim Burton citing it as a direct influence on their work. The Curse of Frankenstein led directly to Dracula and the rest was history. Christopher Lee became an international film star and the names Cushing and Lee would become synonymous not only with horror, but would from then on be uttered together with a reverential hush, much like Rodgers and Hammerstein or Lennon and McCartney. Cushing and Lee are joined by a cast that includes Robert Urquhart as Paul Crimp, Hazel Court as Elizabeth and Valerie Gaughan as Justine. The score is by James Bernard and the film was certified X upon its release for adults only. Horror and graphic violence and vivid color. So begins the legacy of the Hammer House of Horror. Faith, the Baron has made a monster and he is coming right for us. Let's get right to it. What did you think of The Curse of Frankenstein? You know, I I really, really enjoyed this movie uh, a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, I think I expected it to be a lot like the 31 version. And I wasn't disappointed that it wasn't like it at all. I really enjoyed it. So this was a first time watch it was. for you. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie several years back, and I was disappointed the first time I watched it because I went in exactly how you just described your mindset going into Mm -hmm. it. I was expecting a variation on the 1931 Frankenstein film from Universal, and you you really can't talk about Frankenstein without referencing the Universal film. So I went in with with preconceived notions of what this Mm -hmm. film should be, in Mm -hmm. my mind, what it should be. So I didn't like it the first time I watched it. Luckily enough, I watched it again a little while later, and I was blown away by it. I was really yeah. blown away. I didn't look for what I thought should be there. I watched what is in the film. This is amazing. It really this is, is an amazing film. This is an amazing gothic horror picture mm-hmm. about obsession and genius. Yep. And it's well-paced. <laughs> It's got a wonderful script. The direction is on point. The editing, the score, the performances, everything that you want to be on point in a film is on point in this movie. Yeah. And the best thing I can say about it is what I thought was the worst thing about it when I saw it the first time. It's its own thing. It's not a remake. It's another telling of a very old story, a story that has become myth and legend at this point for us, Frankenstein. There's a fascination with that story, and and it's okay that it keeps getting retold. This is a great telling of that story. It's a very great telling. Great telling of that story. Let's get into it. I want to focus tonight on the two guys because we are spotlighting Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee this month. So Mm -hmm. let's start with Peter Cushing, who really 
does have the meteor role here. And I want to start by talking about a film we're not talking about tonight. I want to talk <laughs> about uh, the horror of Dracula and his portrayal of uh, Van Helsing in that film. We have done an episode on that. We also just recently did an episode on Brides of Dracula, which features Mr. Cushing as Van Helsing. We're both big fans of his, obviously, and we're big fans of his portrayal of Van Helsing. But I, I want to talk about Van Helsing just for a moment to compare it to what he does here in Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So what comes to mind with Van Helsing? Put together, level-headed for the most part. Warm. <laughs> Warm, Intelligent. Yeah. yeah. He's got a little charm to him in a Karen. way. Yeah. Yeah. Karen. Um, man of action. Yes. Man of action. I think the kind of guy you'd want in your corner mm-hmm. when, when, when all hell breaks loose exactly. as, it, as it is in these <laughs> movies. His portrayal of the Baron, which actually did come before Van Helsing, about a year before, could not be any more different <laughs> from that. And I want to get that out front early because it's really a testament to what a fascinatingly great actor Peter Cushing was. And I think it might get overlooked by some in the uh, square community because of the kind of films mm-hmm. he appeared in. This guy was the real deal. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about the Baron. What comes to mind when, when we talk about the Baron? I will start. I will throw out the word callous. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, possibly obsessive. And uh, I mean... There are moments where you feel like he's absolutely psychotic. Would you go there completely with him? <laughs> I will throw out the word bastard. <laughs> there bastard. You. Obsessive. He's obsessive. Yeah. And he is so single-minded. Mm-hmm. And he has this goal in mind. And nothing will stop him from that goal. Even himself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? It's a really wonderful performance, and like I said, it couldn't be any different from the Van Helsing mm-hmm. performance, but we're going to talk about him in The Mummy later. It's so completely different from him in The Mummy, and it's so completely different. There are shades, though, of what I'm about to say. Uh, you can see the shades of Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars <laughs> in the Baron performance, yes. the, the coldness, mm-hmm. and Peter Cushing was such a warm gentleman in real life and to see him play this just calculating manipulative single-minded creature is amazing my point about this film that i'd also like to make is that the real horror comes from him and not the monster he is an awful person Mm -hmm. he just he's he's more of a creature than yes the actual creature lack of humanity is a real there's something that's lacking in this guy you could do a psychological breakdown with, with the way the, the mother died and the father, you know, his parents, him being left alone so early. Mm-hmm. At, but whatever. He he is a single-minded, minded, intelligent force of nature who is using this. Because there's an opportunity he has to help people with what he and Paul have discovered in this film, but he wants more and more and more right. and more. More. It's not about the common good. It's about his own obsession. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. Um, let's go back to 1931. Again, I really don't think you can talk about the Frankenstein myth without talking about that mm-hmm. 31 film. For so many people, that's the iconic look of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. And rightfully so. Oh, it's, yeah. And, and it's, that's a great film. We, we've done it on the show. And that movie 
it really does something when you watch it. It's almost a hundred years old now, which is amazing. I know. And it still plays so wonderfully, you know, and <laughs> it's know. so much fun to watch and, and it is chilling and fun and th- everything you want in a great mm-hmm. horror film. And you have that iconic performance by Karloff in it, which, which really, I think sets the bar very high mm-hmm. for everybody coming after him. Not in, only in that role, but in horror. But you have another really good performance in that movie that we mentioned. It's Colin Clive, who playing uh, Henry Frankenstein in that film, playing the doctor, the mad scientist uh, who is wrapped up in what he is trying to do. It's another iconic performance. He has the iconic line from that movie, which made the AFI top 100 movie lines list. It's alive. It's alive. Everybody knows him. He's, He's at uh, wide-eyed, you know, the hair <laughs> flopping everywhere, you know, turn around, just mad, right? Uh, let's talk about Cushing's portrayal of the Baron compared to Colin Clive's. What do you have on that? You know, uh, I feel like I feel like there is a difference between them. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Colin Clive's performance feels like there is room for redemption. He's, exactly. What he's doing he has gone too far, mm-hmm. but he's a man who does pay the price for it. Right. And at the end of Bride of Frankenstein, you feel like he's willing to pay that price mm-hmm. for it. There's redemption. There is a redemptive arc to him. He's uh, skirting the line between madman and genius. He does mm-hmm. come back, though. And I think he does. If I'm recalling correctly, in 31's Frankenstein, there's a, there, there's a moment of reflection with Edward Van Sloan where he does ponder what he has done, the implications mm-hmm. of what he has done. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Peter Cushing doesn't stop. The Baron no. <laughs> really doesn't stop Mm-mm. to consider the implications. Nope, so, not at all. Uh, basically, it comes back to what we just said, though. He's he's it's the Van Helsing argument. He's cold. He's cold and callous. It's a completely different take on, you know, what we know is the iconography. So yeah. I think it's wonderful. This was his first leading film role, too, which is amazing. That's amazing. Right. It's, and he it's wanted just... this. He, he wanted this. It's, that's so amazing. He got to stretch his legs. You know, you've been telling me recently, like, I really think Peter Cushing has become my favorite actor. And the more we watch these movies, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I don't blame you. Good reason one for bit. it, too, right? Yes. He just, uh, there are certain actors, we did the Terminator recently on the show. If you have not listened to that, please do. I, I feel like it was a really good episode on our end. And that's just such a fantastic and fascinating movie, mm-hmm. you know. And there's so much going on in that movie. And uh, I'm going somewhere with this. It's escaping me. I'm, I'm going for that, that drink of coffee. I have the cup <laughs> in my face looking at me with the mug. But um, there, uh, there are certain actors who just uh, ooze something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and fit, mm-hmm. fit within the genre, mm, you know. Yes. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of those guys who... We've made the comment on the show before that he really fits in with the world of science fiction mm-hmm. quite well. Bruce Willis is another one who fits in very well with the world of science fiction. Harrison Ford's another one. And there's something that they bring in their performance to the genre. You know, right. I, uh, Peter Cushing, for some reason with the horror genre, it just works so well. I know. You know, and he's the... Uh, uh, inspiration for Peter Vincent in Fright Night, played mm-hmm. by Roddy McDowell. So you have to give him, you know, props for that. <laughs> exactly. So, 
really, and this began the association with Hammer and really with horror films and Christopher Lee. This is a, a watershed movie, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. It, it's, but that performance is so good, and it really carries the movie because the monster doesn't come in until an hour in. I know. I really like the way that you go straight onto this and the way that it's told. You get this flashback yeah. instance. I, I really enjoy that. I love... The narrative is very interesting. He's in prison at the beginning. Yeah. So you know things have gone south and right. and something's about to happen and he's confessing. Mm-hmm. He wants someone to know. Right. And and then we get the story and it goes all the way back to when he's a, a young lad mm-hmm. and then, then up through the end. And an hour into the movie, we meet the creature played by Christopher Lee who got this... Because the other gentleman who was up for the role wanted 10 pounds a day or a week. I can't remember if it was a day or a week. Peter, uh, Christopher Lee only wanted eight. So for two pounds, Christopher Lee became an international film star. (laughs) They made the right choice. Oh, yes, they did. Sometimes the movie gods look down on certain productions and and it works out the way it should. This worked out the way it should. (laughs) Let's talk about Christopher Lee. Uh, Christopher Lee was not in any of the films that we did last week. So this is his uh, first appearance on the show, really since his Dracula. And this is a silent role. It's all physical here and and in the face. What did you think of Christopher Lee as the creation? I think he's amazing. I'm going to kind of put him together with also the mummy because it kind of goes hand in hand. Because they are very similar because of the nature of the performances. He's so great at just performing with his body and not having to speak because of his height. And I feel like that's intimidating alone. And just the way he wears the makeup in both performances. Yes. So well done. I mean, it's it's absolutely creepy. Karloff. Karloff as the creature is the gold standard. It's I think I think Karloff as the monster is one of the greatest performances ever put on screen. Agreed. He doesn't do Karloff in this movie. I like what he's doing. Did you notice it was a lot like a puppet, like a marionette, the way he was moving Mm -hmm. and there was a a fluidity to him. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was noticing, he was very graceful for such a big guy. I know. I was thinking that too. There was a real gracefulness and a presence to him. He had presence. Oh, Uh, yes. Absolutely. Uh, But there was a lot of sympathy generated for this for this monster, even though, you know, you're looking at this thing and he's, I think this, uh, the makeup job is fantastic because they could not go with the universal look. And I'm glad they weren't able to, because you get a different look on, on this. I I think it's, it's more horrific in in ways than, than Karloff's. I do too. I don't think it's as iconic as the Karloff look, but there is a a horrific nature to it. I think the the gore element of it is definitely there. I mean, the eyeballs just, the, eye, the, the eyes themselves, yeah. Just, they brought the gore. And especially getting to see it in color. And That was my next, that was what I wanted to get just, into. What do you think about the nature of this? With, uh, you know, you're, we're, we've been talking about the Universal films. And, and in a way, this month, we're looking back at the Universal films as well. Because the Hammer uh, films are updating the Universal films. You get them in, in live and in living color. Gore mm-hmm. and violence in vivid color, as, as it said in the synopsis of the film. <laughs> and... What do you think about that? Because I think it's still shocking. I think so, too. I really enjoy the aspect that this is in color. I think the the Karloff performance, I could never imagine that in color. Like, you know, seeing that movie, I really, yeah. it fits so well in black and white. But this, I think it has to be in color. Just the way yes. that it's portrayed, I think, yes. 
yeah. I that's think a wonderful. It, that's a that's a wonderful uh, point. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. point. And uh, little things, uh, little things Peter Cushing does in this movie, like when he uh, when he wipes his hand after he's cut the head off of the uh, the hanging corpse. Mm-hmm. And the blood is on his jacket. And it's those little details, like when mm-hmm. you get the blood, you actually see the blood. And when, yeah, when he gets shot in the eyeball, the blood. Shot, <laughs> yes. And it's amazing because I don't feel that it, it is exploitive. I don't think so either. But it is being utilized to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And it is shocking, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not there for sensationalism. It's there right. because this is part of this story. And I think it adds to the legitimacy of the retelling. As as we're talking about here, I agree. You know, and and an up, it's an honest updating of yeah. the Frankenstein myth and of the thirty one film. Mm-hmm. And I think this really gets uh, sets them on that path. You know, they kind of pretty early. The the you know the path is there. You know, the formula right. as it is. You know, full color, gore, great performances, yeah. great directing. This movie it really was well put together. And Terrence Fisher is just. Amazing. Amazing. He also directed the other film we're going to be doing tonight and directed uh, Brides of Dracula and Horror of Dracula mm-hmm. as well. Uh, we did this with uh, Peter Cushing, Van Helsing, and uh, The Baron. Let's talk about uh, Christopher Lee's Count and the creature here. And very quickly before we take a break, uh, anything that you're, you know, differences you want to you note or just uh, how amazing, because <laughs> the, the, they're right. amazingly different performances. You know, yeah, both very physical. Obviously, he talks as the Count, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a, there really is that sympathetic quality to the creature, and the Count just has this really kind of unhinged uh, sexual physicality and, oh, yeah. and, and, and is violent. The creature doesn't feel violent. No, not a, I, I don't think so. I, I feel like maybe there are moments where it's maybe triggered. You know, maybe that's kind of what brings it out. But I feel like, like it's an just, animal. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like it's kind of just doing its thing and not just out right. for blood in general. Right. Even, and I guess the point, and we're going to get to this with the mummy as well. I guess the point I want to make is even when he's not saying much, Christopher Lee is acting and he's there and he's very present. And oh, it's, he definitely and it's, is. And it's it's amazing and a joy to watch. I was just saying, I, I think it takes a special person to not be able to speak and to wear makeup and and to perform and actually yeah. perform. It takes a special person. Yeah. He, he was special. He was. Uh, we're going to get more about his biography as the month goes on, as we get into some of these films and we're going to get more into the really deep, sweet and loving nature of these two guys and their relationship. We said that this relationship was based on Looney Tunes. These guys love to laugh. They were friends and they loved each other. And when we get to a film next week, we're going to tell a story about the two of them and you're going to see just how special this relationship was and how deep and loving and caring it was. And they really did love each other mm-hmm. and were very close. And I think the world's better I think for so. having <laughs> their so movies, too. their movies and their friendship in the world and uh so with that we are going to take a short break but when we get back we are going to unwrap hammer's 1959 chiller the mummy unwrap do you see what i did there Uh, i see what you did see what i did there (laughs) all right we are going to be right back after these words from our sponsors i am dan and i am faith we'll see you on the other side Thank you. 
Are you a recently deceased spirit trying to get into contact with the loved ones you left behind? Get in touch with Antoine Duplay, psychic and medium. Let me make the connections. Antoine has helped teens of people make contact with their loved ones. I'm not always right, but I'm willing to give it a shot. No message is too big, no message is too small. One time I helped a lady tell her husband where she kept the extra toilet paper. Crisis averted. Antoine Duplay, Psychic. The lines are open. Season's greetings from WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. The Cozy Corner Department of Standards and Morality wants to remind all of you out there that the song goes chestnuts roasting on an open fire, not chets nuts roasting on an open fire. Furthermore, all children are prohibited from singing the Batman Smells Robin Laid an Egg alternate jingle bell lyrics. We just got the hobo feces off of our city streets. Let's try to keep our minds out of the gutter. Thank you for your compliance and happy holidays. Now back to the Late Night Fright with Dan and Faith, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Egypt, 4,000 years ago. A land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, The Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak, until one night, he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. Go now. Go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies.
August 20th, 1958, the Daily Cinema reported, Because of the fantastic business done worldwide by Hammer's Technicolor version of Dracula, Universal International, its distributors, have made over to Jimmy Carreras' organization the remake rights to their entire library of classic films. The first film Hammer made under this new agreement with Universal International was 1959's The Mummy, a film that reunited not only the on-screen pairing of stars Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, but the behind-the-scenes talents of director Terence Fisher and writer Jimmy Sangster. Hammer's film is not so much a remake of the 1932 Boris Karloff classic, but a reimagining of 1940's The Mummy's Hand, the film that introduced movie audiences to Karras, the Mummy. Plot elements from The Mummy's Tomb, the 1942 sequel to The Mummy's Hand, were incorporated into the Sangster script as well, with only a few elements from the 1932 Karloff film making it into the picture. Cushing stars as John Bannon, an archaeologist being targeted by George Pastel's Mehmet Bey for daring to defile the tomb of Princess Ananka, played by Yvonne Ferno, who also appears as Isabel, Banning's wife. The instrument of Bey's revenge is Karis, played here by Christopher Lee in a mostly silent role. Lee's physicality is on full display here, and he has a much more physical threat than Karloff's Imhotep from 1932. The cast is rounded out by Eddie Byrne as Inspector Mulrooney, Felix Eilmer as Stephen Banning, and Raymond Huntley as Joseph Wimple. The score is by Franz Reisenstein. The Mummy premiered on September 25th, 1959, and was another success for the Hammer House of Horror. Faith, we have another great hammer horror flick to unwrap. So let's get to it. Let's do unwrap. it. Unwrap. There it was again. <laughs> what did you think of The Mummy from 1959? At first, uh, it, it was, it, I'll be honest, it, it felt like a chore to kind of watch it. I almost felt the need to fast forward through bits and pieces because it just kind of felt a little slow. And then it unwrapped. <laughs> and I actually, I really liked it. Yes, this is uh, the slowest of mm-hmm. the big three, being Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my, if we're talking about those three, probably my least favorite of the three. Agreed. Because I feel the movie starts off a little slow, and it takes a little while to pick up its head of steam, but once it picks up its head of steam, this thing oh, really, yeah. really goes. It goes for it. We have the same team behind this. We have Terrence Fisher, Jimmy Sankster. We have the two leading men in this. One thing I really like about this picture is it is a complete departure from the other two pictures. This is not that gothic horror of Dracula or Frankenstein. This is a uh, uh, turn of the century mm-hmm. piece. And uh, it does feel and look a little different from the other two movies. Yep. I like that. I like that they were uh, going in a different direction. Yeah. With this movie. Yeah, it shows they are capable of, you know, changing things up and being a little different. Being a little different. Yeah. Let's talk about the fact that Universal, with the Curse of Frankenstein, had their eyes on them. And, hey, don't 
don't use the makeup. We're going to sue you if you use the makeup. Well, it made a lot of money. Then Dracula made a lot of money. They saw the potential to be <laughs> in <laughs> on the ground floor of this and gave them the rights to their remake catalog. So here, this is an honest remake of, of a universal film. Now, this is uh, The Mummy's Hand, not uh, really the Karloff movie. So it is a different vibe mm -hmm. with Christopher Lee's character than Karloff's. But let's talk about Karloff and Lee because that 1932 film is so iconic. So let's go back a minute in time. We have done this on the show. What do you think of 1932's The Mummy? Oh, that's, that's an amazing movie. And I think Karloff just... <sighs> no pun intended he just he brings the mummy to life you know yeah there's yeah. so much life in his eyes yeah in that movie and it's just you feel for him it's just so wonderful i made the comment on 32's the mummy uh that the that film is a better version of 1931's dracula it's all the same beats you even have edward van sloan in there mm. playing the guy the van helsing type character who right. kind of knows what's going on and stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with Karloff and then there's the lost love and there's the backstory of uh, tragedy and uh, and all of that and that is retold here with mm -hmm. Christopher Lee we're gonna get to that in a second but uh, that film is one of my favorites in the universal cycle and is responsible for one of my favorite moments in any movie ever. And that's the moment when Karloff's Imhotep comes to life and the eyes yes. open. You, you know, the I moment. Know, I, yeah. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure uh, our listeners out there know the moment too, because they're, they're <laughs> horror hounds like us. And it's one of the most iconic moments in, in film for me. And that uh, look of Karloff and the bandages is just so amazing. Again, it's, it's so iconic. <laughs> It's yeah, I mean it's a mummy, but there's just something about him as the mummy yeah. that's just so amazing. And this film, uh, that well, that film I should say, that film is a film about reincarnation and lost love and and some some Eastern ideas. Let's say this film uh, really is a revenge tale. I was gonna say, <laughs> and a pretty simple revenge tale. I like it. Uh, the plot really is lifted mm -hmm. from the mummy's hand, and that's fine. And the Mummy's Hand, we need to get to that on the show, is a really fun movie. It's uh, The Mummy from 1999 with Brendan Fraser is more of a knockoff of that picture than the Karloff movie. You could see the uh, 19, what year it come out? 40, I believe, the, the Mummy's Hand. You could see it as like an Indiana Jones type movie in, in a lot I of ways. I was getting some it vibes has, of Indiana has, Jones from this one as well. Right, right. So I... I so in, in some ways, I think it's fair to compare it to 1932's The Mummy. In some ways, I don't think, because it's not the same movie. Right. It's not the same story. Mm -mm. So, But uh, we have to do this. What do you think of Christopher Lee's interpretation of Karis, The Mummy, as opposed to Imhotep? Because, again, these are different uh, Very creations. Different. Very different creations. Uh, Imhotep is more of a mental mm -hmm. threat, mental and spiritual threat. Mm -hmm. Whereas Karis is really a physical, <laughs> physical threat. Physical threat. Yeah, I feel like he moves so much faster than Karloff as the mummy. Do you agree? I mean, I feel like he just goes. Oh, absolutely. Forward. Yeah. It's like okay. There's something very wraith-like mm -hmm. about Karloff, and there's something very like linebacker about yes, Chris Lee. Uh 
this just popped in my head, this comparison. Uh, Karloff's Imhotep could be viewed as like the Freddy Krueger type character. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Lee's mummy could be viewed as like the Jason Voorhees type character. That's a great comparison. I, I think <laughs> I think that's kind of where, where they fall. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Christopher Lee, I think he's got that more stalker, go for it type vibe for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Lee's performance, you're getting a lot with his eyes in this because mm-hmm. he's and he looks muddy in this movie he yeah. looks so dank in mm-hmm. this in this thing my favorite scene in this is when he comes in the window that is mine at the old folks that home is mine too. and i love the way terrence fisher shot that because he does it in in the one the wide shot from mm-hmm. back and he, there's no cuts in it like christopher lee just comes in the window you see him come in and so i'm sure back in the day and this is uh kind of kind of funny these movies to us now we're what 60 years you know yeah for yeah 60 years now it's hard to believe 60 years past it not that they're quaint but you know things that scared people back then don't scare us today so i'm sure this was shocking to people seeing oh, him come through this window like he did you know and so just uh with that singularity you know, I know. purpose just coming through and he's not gonna he can't be stopped nope. he's an unstoppable killing machine you know uh it's kind of like the terminator <laughs> Very much so, yes. So it's it's a little quaint to us today, and I was really trying to put my put my mind, you know, in what it would be like watching this back then. And I could see how this would be just absolutely terrifying. He just doesn't stop, and he's so big. They even describe him as ten feet tall in in parts. He of He looks movie. like it at one. He really point. does. He really. He. I think I had to rewind it because like he looks ginormous at yeah. one point. I was he like, he oh did. He looked bigger than he. Than yeah. he usually is, and that's what I was saying earlier with the other movie. I feel like that. I feel like that really helps him his height because I know yeah. Karloff had to have uh, for Frankenstein, didn't he? Have lifts, lifts yeah. and stuff. So I feel yeah. like his height was an advantage for sure because he felt intimidating just with his size. Yes, absolutely. Peter Cushing uh, playing Banning in this movie. Uh, I like the arc here because one of the things I like about this movie is it also kind of functions as a mystery, and you get. Uh, Peter Cushing famously played Sherlock Holmes in The Hound of the Baskervilles for Hammer. And he also played uh, Sherlock on the BBC in a television series. You get a little bit of Sherlock in this with mm-hmm. him, with with figuring out what's going on, mm-hmm. why it's happening. I love the revenge plot, and I love him uh, having to work through it. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that he is impaired because he has a, a, a leg that mm-hmm. really doesn't work the way it should because it didn't mend properly. And he brings his usual warmth yes. to this. And it is a different performance from the Baron and from Van Helsing. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who is kind of in the element and out of it at the same time right. because he doesn't know what's going on. But uh, uh, usual charismatic warmth of Peter. Could, this is probably the warmest character that he's played in these in these Hammer films up to date because he's not... He doesn't have his bag of wooden stakes in this crucifix, <laughs> and he's not going out into the night to hunt Nosferatu, and he's not trying to bring the creature to life. This is he actually feels more like a victim, possibly. Yes. In this, yes, you know? which he is. Yeah, yeah, intended victim. Yeah, I, I really like this movie. I I do feel that it is a little slow, but once that the last act of this movie, the last thirty minutes, is really amazing i think with a rewatch for myself seeing the whole movie i think you know starting over maybe it won't be as uh you know so slow and as much of a chore for me knowing kind of how where it goes yeah you know. 
it, it does get better with a rewatch. Yeah. And, and again, I have to say this like I did with uh, Frankenstein and Curse of Frankenstein. You have to go into these things not looking for what isn't what you think should be there. Should be so there. what isn't there. But you have to look at what's there. And as a kid, I was a universal I was universal all the way. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the Marvel DC thing. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like team universal. As I've gotten older, I've really come to really love these hammer films. And I said it last week. I'll say it again. In a lot of ways, I like them better yeah. because they are a little more accessible to us mm-hmm. as a modern audience because they are in vivid color. Yeah. And I, I love the look of the color, the Eastman Kodak Technicolor oh, look of these, of these films. I want to see some, like, and no offense to these movies, I was coming into it because I haven't seen a lot of Hammer films. Mm-hmm. So seeing Universal really falling in love with those, I'm like, you know, are, are these really going to top those? And it's yeah. like, okay, wow, I'm not really disappointed with any of them. What's, what's amazing is that they are their own things. Yeah. You know, they, I don't yeah. feel like, I think they're very reverential towards the Universal films. Yeah, I don't films. feel like they're knockoffs. And I know they love, the, the people making these yeah. loved the Universal uh, films. So I, I was going to ask this at the end of the show, but I, I think we've kind of talked about the mummy. It's it's a I think the thing to say about this is it's a really well done movie. Uh, it, I think it is a must see. I think you need to see this because of the Cushing Lee thing. You need to see Lee's performance to compare it to Karloff. Mm-hmm. This is a, a really good movie. It's a great solid watch. I don't think it's as landmark as Horror of Dracula or Curse of Frankenstein. Right. Uh, but uh, I do. I was going to ask this at the end of the show, but I'd like to ask it now. What do you think of these films compared to the originals? Just these, the remakes in general. I mean, they're not the same. I feel like there's definitely a different vibe to both of them. You know, I mean, obviously those are black and white. You have color. I feel like that makes a big difference yeah. to me. Even you know, just watching them. But I think they're. I think they're wonderful. Like I don't feel like they're knockoffs. I yeah, don't feel like they're the thing, cheaply yeah. made. I don't feel like... Or, or, or a remake. Yeah, I know? don't feel that way at all. I feel like you said they're doing their own thing. They're doing a wonderful job at it. They make me appreciate the Universal films even more. Yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of the thing with Elvis and the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You know, without Elvis, you don't have the Beatles. Mm-hmm. You know, and without the Universal films, you don't have these Hammer films. And you don't have the Hammer films in the same way that you have the Hammer films where you can look at what... Right. Uh, movies we're doing mm-hmm. with horror you know and then hammer comes along with with their thing and and it's and it's great and they each have their own kind of niche you know and yeah. uh fascinating i will say this and it's, and it's a point i wanted to make on last week's show and i don't think that i really came out and said it as landmark as the universal films are and we're talking dracula and frankenstein and the wolfman and invisible man and the mummy and uh creature from the black lagoon those films as as amazing as those films are, I feel that the sequels don't hold up as well. I feel like the sequels are kind of, and eh, some of them are really fun. Mm-hmm. Eh. Hammer, I feel that the series, even though in uh, Peter Cushing would go on to be, I think six six Frankenstein films. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, they would both go on to appear in the Dracula series uh numerous times and i feel like the sequels have a little more to offer from hammer than the than the universal mm-hmm. films do as fun as some of those are yeah. so Maybe that's a big just, difference too yeah. so, Maybe. 
I want to want to throw this out. One of the things that I think Hammer did so well with their Frankenstein pictures is we talked about this. The focus is really on the creator and not the creation. Mm-hmm. And you get that throughout the rest of Peter Cushing's run in the Frankenstein films. I think that was pretty good. So you're not, you know, waiting for the creature to be resurrected or anything like that. Right. It's it's you're focused on on Cushing. Well, I like it like that. I mean, I feel like you don't really get to know the creature unless you really get to know the creator. Like who? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah. To really know yeah. what they're making, you really need to know. It's, it's the a thing. Creators. It's a thing too. Uh, you see this with uh, slasher films in the '80s, especially where Freddie and Jason and Michael and Chucky become the stars of the of the franchise, and that's you know you sh- you start rooting for them. You shouldn't be rooting for them. <laughs> not that you're rooting for the Baron, but the the focus is not on the monster mm-hmm. as it is you know on on the guy. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's great. Yeah, I think, I think so too. So. Uh, we're going to be getting to some of those sequels in the in the future, some sometime down the road. <laughs> Do you have anything you would like to add about uh, the mummy or about the curse of Frankenstein? Let me add one more thing about the curse of Frankenstein. Yes, that really I think out loud I said wow to. I can't recall her name. The servant that he was having the affair with. Yeah. When he closed the door on her. Yeah. I just left her in there. I think out loud. I was like, that whole story, wow. that whole story line of, of him promising her marriage and getting it on the side <laughs> and, and all of that. And yeah, let's not forget that he uh, dug up the creature and brought it back to life. And yeah, but him just throwing it like, like, like leaving a child in a bag with a rabid dog, know. you know? And let's also mention, I mean, we talk about you know how he is as as the creator but he really plays two different roles i mean he's kind of deranged at moments and then he turns around and he's pretending to be this normal guy with guest over yeah and no one suspects anything and, and then he takes just... him up to the ledge and and throws the uh professor out. yeah it's he's he's a wonder he's a like wonderful he just, actor he's amazing he's a wonderful actor and i'm gonna echo what you said which was an echo of what i said one of the great joys of doing this show and watching all these old horror films is peter cushing has become my favorite actor he's he's up there he, for me. he really, he really has. is becoming mine too he really has and uh again i just want to say this uh his performance in curse of frankenstein that's where i see echoes of tarkin in star wars mm-hmm. which he's you know probably most famously remembered for these right. days which Rightfully so, and he's great in that picture, and that movie is amazing. It really is. But uh, there's other facets to Peter Cushing. Oh, you know? yeah. So uh, I'll say this. There's a really wonderful, uh, I don't want to call it a cult, really great society that has uh, sprung up, appreciation society around Peter Cushing and his life and mm-hmm. his work. Uh, you can check them out online. I will link the description uh, in the show notes. And... Just people really seem to love him. Mm-hmm. And he, he seemed like an amazing man. He seemed like a very gentle guy. And mm-hmm. to see him play this is just I know. so amazing. <laughs> he was a great actor. He, he really was. Actor, so, Well, we're going to take a short break. And this is a news break. So stay tuned for all the fake news not fit to print. I am Dan. And I am Faith. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you. 
Legendary test pilot Chuck Yeager recently passed away at the age of 97. For an in-depth analysis of his life and career, here's Dan with a retrospective. He went fast. Thank you, Dan. On point as always. Passion's Portal, Cozy Corner's first all-nude laser tag arena, opened over the weekend. If you've had all of your shots and are willing to see some things you shouldn't see, Passion's Portal is the place for you. Mariah Carey's Magical Christmas Special is now available on Apple TV. Would you like to know what I'm not going to be watching this year? Mariah Carey's Magical Christmas Special. All I want for Christmas is not that. Finally, David L. Lander, best known to television audiences as Andrew Squiggy Squigman, passed away on December 4th, 2020. Lander was a genuinely gifted comedic actor and made guest spots on classic series such as Twin Peaks and The Simpsons. We like to think that when he saw Penny Marshall at the pearly gates, he said, Hello, Laverne. Rest in peace, David. You will be missed. Job well done. And that is the news. The chimes are soon upon us, but there is time for one more cup of coffee. We now return to the late night fright, the show known to order a hamburger in a seafood restaurant. Welcome back. Time to wrap this up as it is. Had a thought on the break. Universal Hammer. I'm going to throw out this. New Line Cinema, they really built their reputations on horror. It's three studios that really mm-hmm. found success with horror. And I think uh, we've said this on the show before. It's a dirty little secret. Horror sells. Yes, it does. <laughs> New Line for years was called the house that Freddy built. Mm-hmm. Worked out pretty well for him. Worked out pretty good. It's worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, quick question. Do you have a preference between the Universal films or the Hammer films? Oh, don't make me choose. <laughs> Let you think about it. <laughs> you don't make me pick. Let you think about it. Well, next week. Well, wait, we, do you have a preference? Uh, I don't. I okay. don't. I really don't. Uh, they. I really don't think I do either. They're amazing. I mean, they're just, both of them are so fun to watch. And just so fun. Yeah. So great. Next week, it's uh, it's going to be fun. We have two really good films next week. We have one film from Hammer called The Gorgon, which is another pairing for Cushing and Lee. And we've got a Medusa-like character in that. So a lot of fun. Kind of a mystery thriller chiller. Ooh. Terrence Fisher directed that as well. So it should be fun. We have a Spanish production called Horror Express, which is a retelling of Who Goes There, the novella that became The Thing, famously. Nice. Became the thing and the thing from another world. So it takes place on a train at the turn of the 20th century. What's great about this is Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are in this movie working together. That sounds awesome. So we're going to get to see them really acting together, and this is going to be a lot of fun. This is one of my favorites. One of my favorites of their collaboration. These are both first time watches for me again. So very good. I'm excited. This is great to get your input on these. Yes, first time watches. So. We have loved having you all here with us. Thank you for letting us drone on in your ears for about an hour. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us what a horrible job we did, you can at <laughs> late night fright podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram at late night fright podcast and faith is on the gram at I am a normal alien. We would like to thank all of you for tuning in. We hope that you're happy. We hope that you're healthy. We hope that you're safe. 
And again, thank you for letting us just go on and on for a little while about horror movies because the world's always better when you're talking about horror movies. Yes, it is. Faith, it feels like it's that time, doesn't it? It feels like it. See if we snap our fingers, if we can get the music to start. Ready? One, two, three. There it is. Time to say goodbye. Yes, it is. Horror Express and the Gorgon are up next. Two really fun movies. I'm really looking forward to these. If you haven't seen them, I hope you enjoy them. That's right. Let us know what you think of them, too. Late Night Fright Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Faith, take us home. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on a leash. leash. We'll see you on the other side.